Before we get going with this week's show, a word from a few of our friends. Let's begin with Keeneland. The Keeneland Fall Meet is off. Get in on the action and wager. With Keeneland Select, new accounts receive a special $100 back after you wager $200 on Keeneland Racing this October. Wager a total of $300 inside the first 30 days and earn another $100 back with the standard sign-up bonus. Sign up at KeenelandSelect.com. Keeneland Select, mobile betting that gives back. Our friends at Santa Anita Park, the $600 Santa Anita Challenge on Saturday, October the 22nd. Compete in Santa Anita's next live money handicapping contest on track or via express bet. The $600 challenge features NHC seats and cash. For the full schedule of live money contests, head on over to santaanita.com contests. $5,000 show viver is back at Santa Anita. Play in their free online game. You select one horse a day to compete for prize money across five different categories. And again, you can play for free at santaanita.com contests. Also, the $14,000 Santa Anita Pick'em has returned. It's an online contest mixing popular sports props, including horse racing and football, offered every Saturday and Sunday for a chance to win $1,000 per contest day. Play for free at santaanita.com contests. Our friends at BetMakers. Fixed Odds Betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic, with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Fixed Odds wagering is now available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You will continue to hear more about fixed odds wagering opportunities across the In the Money media network. And last but not least, our friends at Adelphi. The Adelphi Racing Club is a partnership in every sense of the word. Not a syndicate, and our members are treated like partners, not investors. If you're interested in joining a group of like-minded individuals and having a truly interactive ownership experience, we are the right fit for you. We take a fiscally responsible approach to horse ownership through our patient acquisition strategy, which offers partners a chance to compete at the highest levels of the game while doing so in a responsible manner and allowing for long-term participation in the sport. Adelphi offers a variety of partnership options, including yearlings, two-year-olds in training, private purchases, and claiming options. We are recently active, or we were recently active, I should say, if I can read, at the Facing Tipton Saratoga yearling sale for New York Breads and have three exciting prospects currently available. I'm fascinated by the pedigree on this one. An Arrogate Colt out of the family of Audible and Governor Malibu that will be headed to trainer Christophe Clement. A beautiful tonalist filly out of a stakes place dam also headed to Clement Barn. And a hard spun Colt who wowed us with his powerful walk and will be headed to trainer Ray Handel. Join the club. All the ways to get in touch. Website, AdelphiRacing.com. Email, Matt at AdelphiRacing.com. And on social media, Instagram, at Adelphi underscore racing. And Twitter, at Adelphi Club. Thank you to all of our friends and partners. Now, on to this week's show. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, October the 17th, 2022. It's episode 135 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode along with the 134 prior as always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down. If you're on YouTube, make sure the bell icon's lit up. 
That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel, whether it's this, whether it's Horse Players Happy Hour, the Players Podcast, you name it. All the things that go on over at In The Money Media. This week's show, uh, I think it's it's going to be a tight one, but maybe not in length, if that makes sense. Uh, the first part, we're going to talk with Dan Illman from the Daily Racing Forum for a better part of a half an hour. We go over all things Breeders' Cup, talk about many of the divisions, some of the horses that could be a little bit suspect, some that are prohibitive favorites, and sort of get Dan's overview of the landscape. Um, yeah, I think he's as sharp a handicapper and analyst as there is. I'm not just saying that because he's a good friend of mine, but um, and we haven't had Illman on the show for quite a while. So we'll chat with Dan Illman for about a half hour, and then after that, we will take an early look at the Friday pick five, the late pick five at Keeneland. Uh, races six through ten. I'm going to give you, look, I wouldn't blindly bet the ticket, but I'm going to go through, give you some of the horses that I'm looking at. If I do go ahead and play the sequence, it's still TBD. I want to wait and see what scratches look like. I got to wait and see what one of the programs that I use from a handicapping standpoint suggests, and I won't know that until Thursday. So this is a early sort of cursory glance, and if you want to play the ticket, go right ahead. But I, I would encourage you to use your own noodle. Say that horse, no, this horse, yes, you forgot this horse. Use your own handicapping acumen. Um, and if you want to throw in a couple that I've used, so be it. And if you want to pitch out a couple that I've used, so be it. Uh, but we'll look at the late pick five on Saturday, excuse me, on Friday at Keeneland, races six through 10 to wrap up this week's show. Uh, football, the picks will come back. I've not had a moment to sit down and fix the model because it's it's broken. Uh, I think I said it a few weeks ago. Anyone that has scraped data from the internet, it's all well and good as long as there aren't slight changes with the source, meaning the actual URL and the way things are laid out that you pull the numbers from. When there's a little tweak... It all goes sideways. So I have to basically go back and reverse engineer and figure out what the hell is going on, why it's not pulling the numbers that it's supposed to. Uh, so that's why there won't be any football. I've also been deep back into hockey, back into the Premier League. You can find all those write-ups over on NBCSportsEdge.com. I tweet them out all the time over on uh, at Bernier underscore Matt. Hockey is Monday through Friday. Premier League is for the weekends. There's also a horse racing weekend stakes preview article that goes up over there as well and i tweet that out also so anyway long story short uh let's get into it we're gonna start off with illman and then we'll transition into the pick five at keeneland on friday without further ado drf stan illman it's been a little while since we've had the opportunity to chat with my good friend from the daily racing forum dan illman illman i was talking to my wife the other night and would you believe it's been more than three years since we worked together yeah that's that's kind of remarkable isn't it i mean three years Three years is, I remember when Andre the Giant uh, was about to turn on Hulk Hogan, he was in Piper's pit and he looked at Hulk Hogan and he said, three years to be a champion, it's a long time. And it is a long time that we haven't worked together, considering that we work together just about every day, saw each other every day, went out after the races. Uh, yeah, I miss you, buddy. I miss you as well. And thank you for, you know, I know it's a busy time, not just for everyone in horse racing, but especially you guys with all the videos and all the good content you're putting out. And uh, you're still the the number one, the ace in Maryland. That's correct. I believe, well, that's, well, maybe, maybe <laughs> some of the people that follow my picks won't believe that I'm the ace, but I'm the analyst, I guess is probably the way to do it. I'm looking forward because Maryland Million Saturday 
is coming up. So I'm very excited about that at Laurel. You get a big day coming up before the Breeders' Cup. I'm in sort of that weird lull of, yeah, we've got some good racing, but for all intents and purposes, it's kind of quiet until we get up to, you know, that first weekend in November. And let's talk about that. I, I don't want to keep you too long. I'm going to kind of just throw out some rapid fire things. I've talked about many of these horses and divisions over the past few weeks, but I'm curious to get someone else's opinion. Let's just start with, you know, the headliner, really the classic. And not to say is he vulnerable in, you know, how the race could unfold sort of thing. And we know that there are things that can happen between now and the actual race day. But is there any reason to go against a horse like Flightline? It, it's hard to uh, it's hard to do so. Um, I think the major question with Flightline is every step he takes, considering the history of injuries he's had, it's it's you know everyone holds their breath. We just want to get him to the race. If he gets to the race and gets to the starting gate, well then I think you just let things take care of themselves. I understand what you're saying about the pace scenario of the race. Life is good as the fastest horse by far that flight line's ever going to face in the early portion of the race. And I think life is good is just faster than flight line out of the gate. So flight line could be placed on a harder chase. But what we've seen thus far, I mean, it's it's special stuff. Now, is there any concern? Let's say life is good is the, the darned if you do, darned if you don't. If you don't go early on, flight line gets out there by himself and just cruises on the front. But if you do go and you apply pressure or you even clear him, how concerned are you about that final furlong? Because I haven't seen anything in any of his races recently that would suggest that the run in Dubai was sort of the aberration. I kind of think he may have a problem once you get past that ninth furlong. Well, I think the deal with life is good is he has to go. I don't think you can rate him at this point in his career. Uh, you saw what happened in his last race. They took a hold of him. It was the slowest he ever went in the earliest part of his race. And he didn't look exactly strong in the stretch. I think he's the kind of horse you just let him roll and let him go as fast as he can, as far as he can. And the mile and a quarter, I think they're just going to pray that last eighth, that flight line maybe just didn't have his day and life is good is, is going to be holding on to the wire. But Setting a fast pace with a potentially great horse, breathing down your neck, putting that horse away, and then holding off some quality closers is usually not a recipe for success. And I have a lot of respect for, for a life is good, but this is just a tough ask. I'd love him in the dirt mile. I was going to say, last question for the classic. If it's not flight line or life is good, I mean, the obvious answer would be epicenter. Do you view life is good as the main sort of rival? For flight line, or is it a scenario where Epicenter is the one that just sits in the weeds waiting, 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 and then comes with his run? I, I think I'm probably going to fade life as good. And maybe I just put him into the winner's circle right there. Let's not let's not forget about Taba. Yeah. Because I think this is a horse who's always had the potential and has always had the talent. And I think looking back now on the Kentucky Derby, we can say too much too soon, plus a troubled trip. And I, I kind of like what they've done with him after that race. They backed off. It seems like they planned for the second half of the year. He looked real good in that Pennsylvania Derby. And I have a feeling we haven't seen his best race yet. And he could actually be a somewhat playable price. Uh, Epicenter is a very, very good three-year-old. It's just a shame for him that he's catching you know, uh, an otherworldly older horse in flight line. Maybe Tabo would be the other one for me just simply because he'd be a better price than Epicenter, but no knocks on Epicenter. What he did at Saratoga, uh, it was some great stuff. We chatted about it on last week's show. It was either Saturday or Sunday, but the idea that even a horse like Olympiad any other year would be among the top two choices in a race like the Classic. And this year he's sort of a sixth or seventh choice afterthought along with a horse like Hot Rod Charlie, who is as good and talented as he is. I mean, this is... This is an exceptionally deep group. 
And having said that, there's a standout in there, which is kind of remarkable when you really look at it. Um, the mild division, and we don't know who's coming for Europeans. That's always sort of the, the caveat with any of these grass races. But Modern Games loses on Saturday in the QE2 Cup or whatever they call it over there. And I, to me, it's primarily because of the ground that he was running on. He does seem like he does his best over firmer turf. I guess my question for you would be, does the loss this close to the Breeders' Cup, assuming he gets everything the way he wants it in Lexington in a few weeks, does the loss on Saturday give you any reservations, or is he simply the best horse in the race? I think he's probably the best horse uh, compared to our horses. Right. I mean, you and I have talked about it uh, for a long time, that our turf horses just lack a little sizzle. I mean, we, we liked Annapolis in the race in the, in the uh, Coolmore Turf Mile, and that's not to pat ourselves on the back. It was just simply a situation of these older horses are nice, but boy, we needed something to yeah. step up and jump up and do something. And Annapolis got a picture-perfect trip, and I'm not sure he could beat a good European horse without a picture-perfect trip. And you look at some of the other horses, I mean, Regal Glory is a very, very nice mare, but we've seen this trick before. They tried her in the four-star, Dave. She got run over by Casa Creed, who's nice, but couldn't stand up to many of these Europeans. Yeah, I mean, looking over the list, Modern Games is probably the best one. But this Kinross, if he comes over, the horse that won in France last time, I wouldn't give that horse short shrift at all. It's going to be a very good group of the domestic horses. I'm kind of of the opinion that maybe it's the now horse and maybe I'm getting a little bit caught up in the moment, but I think Annapolis has as good a chance as any of them. Would you agree with that? Or is there someone else here in the States? I think off that last race, I'd actually try to fade him simply because he had a perfect trip. That's and fair. I know he has the tactical speed to get a perfect trip. Ivar, I've always had a soft spot in my heart. And there's one thing I know about Ivar. He really likes the going at Keeneland. He won that Shadwell turf mile a couple of years ago, leading up to the Breeders' Cup. He just seems like they, they handled him with kid gloves earlier this year to prepare for the second half of the year, knowing they would have those two starts at Keeneland to make some money. And he's the kind of horse, maybe if this pace, you know, melts down, he has shown that he can compete uh, with European horses and run fairly well against them in the past. I, I was talking to Randy Moss about it right before the race and the fact that I, this is probably a silly question because he just keeps running no matter what, but do you have any kind of reason to, to be concerned about why Paula Lobo takes the blinkers off, puts him back on, takes him off, puts him back on. The horse seemingly continues to run great races. Doesn't matter what the equipment is, but I guess there's always a part of me that feels like, well, the trainer must think that he's not getting everything out of him. So why should I expect that? Well, or you could look at it another way. The trainer just thinks that uh, he's seen something that is going to move the horse forward. I like it when trainers make moves, to be honest with you, unless it's a horse who's, you know, won six times in a row. And right. all of a sudden now there's this dramatic uh, equipment change. It's not like Ivar has been a wind machine in his last couple. I can understand why they put the blinkers on last time. I think they were trying to utilize the same move that led to that win in the uh, Shadwell turf mile. I think he was adding blinkers that day. Um, they're fidgeting with the horse. Maybe he likes a little bit of change in his routine. Uh, you know, horses are all uh, individuals. At this point, I know what Ivar is. I'm not even considering blinkers on, blinkers off. Uh, I just am considering the horse. And while I think he's probably a notch below the top Europeans, he's a hardy horse that will come running, at, and he does like Keeneland. He likes Keeneland. He's finished fourth and third in the mile each of the past two years. Who knows? Maybe this year he can do one or two better. Uh, the distaff. How do you separate the two Todds in nest <laughs> And Malathot. And if it's not one of them, is there someone else that you could see possibly trying to get a little bit creative with? Uh, looking at my list right here, Matt, boy, uh, it's it's hard to get creative, isn't it, from what we've seen? I am a huge, huge fan of search results. I really am. 
I think she ran winning races in both the FIPS and I even thought she ran a winning race last time out at Saratoga simply because she was the one that had to do the dirty work, especially in the FIPS, where she was engaged in just a cutthroat speed duel with Latruska. And say what you will about Latruska, the 2022 version might not be as good as years past, but she's still very fast and they went a fast pace. And, you know, listen, this horse put away Latruska and then got ran down by the closers. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in this situation because she does have tactical speed. I guess she would kind of be the other one for me in this race. What do you do with Clarier? If you believe that Clarier had a legitimate excuse for that race where she supposedly cut her tongue coming out of the gate and never really had any chance, well, she's handled Malathot in the past and she's always been real honest. She's going to be a price in the Breeders' Cup because I think people are just going to jump off and just hand this race to one of the two Tots. Yeah, and it, it's such a tough call for me because I loved her in the distaff last year, and I thought she was a winner with you know three eighths of a mile to run. And yes, she was fifteen wide, but I don't know that I can use that as an excuse. She had a perfect setup from a pace standpoint. But you brought it up this year, head to head. I believe she actually has more times that she's finished ahead of Malathot than behind. So if you like Malathot, I think there's every reason to think if Asmussen's going to run Clarier in the distaff, he's not going to run her just a runner. He's only going to put her in there if he thinks she's ready to roll. I want to know your thoughts on the other Asmussen, who I had mentioned on this show a few weeks ago, and I had some people kind of roll their eyes, and I understand why. She's light on class, but society's paired up by her tops of 100, and now if you take Latruska out of the mix, who is your confirmed gas in that race? I know you've got a couple fillies that can be forward, including search results, but I don't know that I look at search results and think that she actually wants to be cutting out the fractions. Society has one way to go. I don't know where these last two races came from, but they're far and away the fastest of her career. And I think she ran in both of them. I mean, am I crazy to look at her and say, maybe she can't win, but can she stand around for a piece? Not at all. I mean, it, it really depends on, on what we're going to get in here from a pace standpoint. I mean, is Latruska planning to run in this race? Because all of a sudden, if she does, maybe she's not a likely winner, but she's a key. Especially oh, yeah. Like a horse like society, because if you believe that society is at her best when she is controlling things up front, well, it's going to be hard to control things up front with Latruska in the race. I love lightly raced horses with upside coming into a race, especially when they're trained by great horse people. And you've got one in a situation here with society. Uh, her speed plays very well. If Latruska is in the race, it obviously hurts her a little bit. Um, I still want maybe to see it again, but after two triple digit buyer speed figures, the last one a race faster than Malatok's recent win in the Spinster and or a number that came very close to Nest's 101 in the Belle Dame, you got to at least take her a little bit seriously. I guess of the original question, which I sort of avoided, I would take Nest over Malathot, but I'm really interested in search results. Yeah, I'm with you on Nest. I just, it's not that I dislike Malathot. I no. just, I don't know. I, I feel like Nest has, there's something else with Nest there that, that maybe... Maybe again, maybe I'm not giving Malathot enough credit, but I, I just think Nest has something that's a little bit different, a little uncommon for a three-year-old filly this time of year. And we've seen three-year-old fillies do very well in the distaff in the past. Um, we've talked about Asmussen. Arguably his biggest horse of the weekend is Jackie's Warrior. I guess Epicenter would be, but Jackie's Warrior yeah. is sort of a redemption kind of story. Can he get to the winner's circle on Breeders' Cup Saturday? He couldn't do so last year. There's a reason why he didn't run well. We know that with that ankle chip that he had. Um, he's coming off of a layoff. He's coming off of a loss. Do either of those concern you going into a race like the sprint? I think as someone who may not be as big of a Jackie's Warrior fan as I could be, 
Uh, it does concern me. I mean, I, I think Jackie's Warrior is a horse that can be had. Okay. And I understand he was injured in the Breeders' Cup sprint, and maybe that's the reason why he didn't run his best race. And that's perfectly fine. Um, we saw him get beat last time out in a race where, okay, the fractions were fast, but it's not like they were blazing fast. I just think Cody's Wish was a better horse on that day. Uh, Jackie's Warrior, I think, is fortunate in this situation that maybe Jack Christopher goes to the dirt mile that you look at this sprint division and you say, where's the competition for Jackie's warrior, not only from a class perspective, but from a pace perspective. I mean, I'm not sure I'm an elite power believer right now. I'm not sure. I believe that gun Knight can beat this horse. I'm not sure that Kamari can successfully beat the boys going six furlongs, no matter how good form she's been for Wesley Ward is American theorem. Really that kind of horse that's going to upset a Jackie's warrior. It just seems like the stars are aligned for Jackie's Warrior to get that redemption in the Breeders' Cup sprint. This would be one of those races that, whether you back them or you don't, I think we would all come out of this saying, well, if you can't do it now, when are you going to do it? And and maybe that's a little bit callous, but again, to your point, everything is lining up for him to run the best race of his life, at least from a Breeders' Cup standpoint. And if you can't do it now, when are you going to do it? Are you going to do it as a five-year-old? I kind of find that hard to believe. You brought up American Theorem. He's light. I get it. He was kind of the one that I'm a little bit intrigued with. I don't know if I'm going to be bold enough to actually pick him, but I think he's run really well out in Southern California this year. And to my surprise, that that Pat O'Brien has been a very, very live race. Uh, you've had a number of horses come out of it and run very well. Uh, we know Senor Buscador came back and won a couple of weeks ago. We'll find out. I assume he's going to go in the dirt mile. We'll talk about that race in a minute. Let's get back to the grass, though. The turf, it seemed like this was going to be a very motley crew for a long time. And now it sounds like you're going to get Mishriff, who say what you will. He's not what he once was, but he at least brings a little bit of cachet to the race. It sounds like Adair may be coming over, who won the Derby last year. Maybe end up getting Baybridge, the the horse that won the other day. Um, Let's say two of those three come over, any iteration of that. I mean, is it their race to lose? Because aside from Warlike Goddess, who is it in the United States? Oh, aside from Warlike Goddess, uh, bye-bye Melvin. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, who, who, no, no, sir, again, I, I hate to say it, but every year it's like this. Yeah. Every year we hope to see a turbos. I wanted to see domestic spending come off the layoff here yeah. and maybe run because he would be the one. Because I just am not sure I want Red Knight or Highland Chief or any of these horses that are on our list, a uh, uh, channel maker. No, it's going to be one of the European horses. And I absolutely love, uh, I absolutely love Warlike Goddess. But at the end of the day, Warlike Goddess is running in this race for one reason, it's the distance. If the Philly and Mare Turf was at its usual distance, yeah, she'd run there. But it's not at Keeneland, so she's going to have to run longer against the boys. And you mentioned quality boys, and I really don't know what Rebels Romance is going to do. And I really don't know what the horse from France, the one, the Prix de l'Opera, the Mare, is going to do. You'd have to think that one of the five is going to come over here and is going to just be better than our North American turf horses. I said it last week when I was talking about the Joe Hirsch. I go, yeah, great. Warlike Goddess won. You know, I, I didn't love that it took her a little while to get away from the field. Uh, but again, to your point, the distance is really the thing she relished. I, but I said, how serious can I take that race? If Gufo, who, I mean, look, Gufo depends what, what side of the bed he gets up on. Adamo, we, you know, fine. He is what he is. But how, how excited can I be that she beat Bye Bye Melvin? I like Bye Bye Melvin. He's a nice horse, but he's not a grade one turf runner. He's just not. And if that's the barometer for the United States right now, my God, I mean, 
it could be a European super effect, the pent effect, whatever you want to call it, super high five. I mean, who I I just wish there was someone here in the States that you could get a little bit excited about. And I even think about a horse like uh, Tribuven, who a mile and a half is probably not his game, but there's really no speed. So just well, screw it. Try to bottom him out. Right, exactly. Right. faster than Bye Bye Melvin. That, that's fair enough. Um, you're right. If Tribuven ran and all of a sudden he gets loose, you got to bottom him out, though. You got to go just open up, guns blazing. Right. You have to. You have to just bomb him out like he did in the UN the first time, and and just forget about it. And I still don't think it would matter. I agree. And, I, and I'm a big fan of horses. I just don't think a he classes up to these horses, and b he wants to go a mile and a half. It just looks like this is a, a European race where you're going to just hand one over. Speaking of speed, speaking of turf, again acknowledging we don't know who's coming over for the Europeans for the Philly and Mare turf, but thoughts on the prospect of in Italian stretching out to nine and a half with the speed that she's got. We know that she can handle Keeneland. You know, I was a little bit dubious overall coming off of that Diana. I said, yeah, fine. You know, but maybe she had everything go her own way. I thought she ran quite well down there at Keeneland a couple of weeks ago. What, what do you think about her stretching out? She has been an, a revelation in her last two starts and she ran really well on Belmont Stakes Day. That was a very, very fast pace and it sort of set up for the stable mate Regal Glory, but her last two races were really good. And I know she got, uh, you could call it an easy lead up at Saratoga, but she ran a mile and an eighth and 45 and change. And she put away some good horses. And we, you saw what she did at Keeneland. She just doesn't stop right now, which makes me think that the distance will be uh, within her scope. And her speed does give her kind of an edge over the Europeans and that in other situations with our turf horses, we have stalkers and closers just like the Europeans and they're better finishing than we are. But if we are able to stretch out a lead and maybe create an advantage and maybe it'll be an insurmountable advantage. And I guess that's what, you know, you give in Italian a shot in that race. She's very, very good right now. I don't know what's coming over here in uh, for the Phillies and Mares. Just looking at the list I have, you've got uh, horses that ran the Irish St. Ledger, uh, Rose Carberry. What about Moira? Moira's got a great turn of foot. She's a little bit light on figs. She might be a little bit light on class, and I know she won the Queen's Plate, and she's an extremely talented horse, but she had some trouble in that last race at Woodbine, and I think she's upwardly mobile, and maybe she's the kind of horse you could fool around uh, with, because I do believe that, that there are some folks that don't believe right now. You know, it's funny you bring that race up, because I cooked up this thing in my head probably a month and a half ago, and I said, oh, it must have been after the Beverly D, and I said, boy, Rougier, she just she can't run. I go, boy, but all of her runs on firm are the ones where she doesn't pick her feet up. When she gets any kind of cut, she actually does run. And these aren't these people that are involved with her are not stupid. They, they, I can't imagine that Chad and Peter Brandt got fooled with a horse like this that they paid all this money for. And she came back and she ran very well up at Woodbine. You know, Woodbine is not the, let's call it the hardest turf course. There's always got a little bit of cushion in there. And I, I would like to think that in a few weeks' time at Keeneland, you're going to have less than really firm going. I'm not saying she's going to win. But again, an Italian owned by Brent, trained by Chad, she's going to be out there. I don't think it's crazy to think Ruggier could hit the board at a giant number in a race where people look at her and probably think that she's not that good to begin with. Well, she won a group one in Europe last year. She has to have some ability. No, she has plenty of ability. And I think that last race was really a nice sign 
that she's moving forward in the right direction at the right time. And sometimes that's just what it is. Sometimes you just need a horse that's peaking at the right time for a race. And that's where you trust trainers. And you're going to trust a trainer, obviously, in this situation. From the Europeans, it looks like you got the two, three finishers from the Prix de l'Opera, Nashua above the curve. Dream Loper won the Prix de Moulin last time. It's going to try to stretch out. These are talented horses. But I think in the Philly and Mir turf, I think we got a shot. I mean, we, the North American-based horses, I, I do think in Italian, uh, it's in very good shape right now. Rougier is, is a kind of horse that, as you mentioned, has some ability. Uh, and again, I wouldn't give Moira a short trip just yet. The the dirt mile is is usually uh, panned as sort of the the redheaded stepchild of the Breeders' Cup weekend. And I understand to a degree. I've never been anti-dirt mile, but I get it. You cannibalize one or two races and you end up with sort of one watered down one and a couple that could be better. But I don't know. There's a part of me that looks at some of the horses that could go in this race. Jack Christopher, Laurel River, Cody's Wish, Cyberknife. I'm sure I'm missing a few. I mean, there's a chance that this could be the best race of the weekend, isn't there? I was just going to say that this right might be the most competitive yeah. race. It might be one of the more bad, best betting races of the weekend. Uh, and the two-turn mile configuration is really going to be key to this race. Um, Jack Christopher obviously loves the one turn. We've seen that in his races. He's very, very fast. He's very talented. Laurel River, of course, won the Pat O'Brien going seven. Backward seems to think he likes him at two turns. And he's coming into this race off of a very fast race. That Pat O'Brien was a very fast race. Cody's wish, though, you know, obviously the sentimental horse for the story behind the horse, but this horse can step. And I think Bill Mott's actually a little concerned about the two turns. I mean, I know at Tampa Bay, he ran really well in that two turn start. He got beat and he got good as turning into sort of a late running one turn horse. But I think this horse is pretty good. And I think he's peaking at the right time. And maybe just maybe because he's not one of the big names in this race, maybe the story will take money. But maybe since he's not one of the big names in this race, he, he offers a little value on the toe. Well, you figure, I mean, I'm going to guess of the four names I just rattled off, he's got to be the fourth choice of those, right? I, I mean, Cyberknife on just name recognition, three-year-old X, Y, and Z, Laurel Rivers of Baffert, and Jack Christopher's Jack Christopher. I would, I would think you're looking at no better or no worse, I should say, than fourth choice. Um, I mean, I, I could see a scenario. And again, he's coming into it arguably as the fastest horse. He had that, what, 112 or whatever it was winning the four. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think he's really intriguing. I think the whole race is really fun because, again, you do have those questions of how far do these horses want to go? How many of them want to go two turns? Is a mile too sharp for a couple of them? I mean, you could go so many different ways in there. And again, I understand the folks that this isn't their favorite race of the year. I think this year may be an exception, though. And we have seen really big performances in dirt miles in the past. I'll leave you with two other questions from Friday. All right. Now we're not going to talk about the turf races, the no. juvenile Phillies. Yes. The question is, are any of them any good? Because, <laughs> I was, because I, was, I, I don't think they are. I, I, I was talking about that with, uh, uh, our, our, our colleague, Mike beer. And, and I think he tends to agree with you and I, and that they're not very good. Uh, chocolate gelato has been good. And at least chocolate gelato has run a fast race. But I'm not sure I'm a complete believer. It just might be that she's simply too fast for these horses. I watched the Alcibiades, and I guess Chop Chop ran a pretty good race. Yep, yep. I'm not sure how much I want to, you know, bank her. And I believe Raging Sea had that little bit of trouble in behind horses. But it's not like I got that sort of performance from either one of those two that makes me think they're going to jump up and run a bad race. I'm kind of interested in your my girl 
coming out of the uh, the Frisette. I think she was second in that race for Terra Nova after winning a maiden. The Frisette was a really sloppy track. She has the built-in excuse there. I think she has at least run uh, a figure in the 80s, <laughs> which would be nice to build off of. And I'm curious with her pedigree to see how she stretches out around two turns. So maybe she's kind of the other horse. Uh, Chocolate Gelato is going to be really over bet. I won't be surprised if she wins, but I am kind of with you that maybe these, uh, maybe we haven't seen the Kentucky Oaks winner yet. I, and, you know, I, I tweeted it a few days ago. I had read, and I don't know if they're going to go here with her or not, but there was a private purchase down in Florida. She's now in Pletcher's barn. Her name's yeah. Atomically. Yeah. And I get it. She hasn't run against anything. She's run against Florida breads, I think. I think she's been really good. And if we're saying that this is a group of, of two-year-old fillies that you can't really make heads or tails of, why not take a shot with a filly that's looked good? She's done everything she's been asked of. And purely on numbers, she's really not that far off of some of the bigger names. So that's probably where I would be leaning in a year like this. And having said all that, she may not even end up in a race like this. I think they're going to point to. I think you, you get sold, you go to Todd, you have run in the Breeders' Cup. We've yeah. seen horses, uh, juvenile fillies that have run in these races. I'm not sure if it was Awesome Feather. I can't remember anymore. That ran well in those Florida races and came up here yeah. and, and did very well in the juvenile. Especially, you catch the right year, you're looking for a price. And I think she ran something like a 77 buyer last yeah. time out, and she gained experience to just run around two turns. So obviously there's things to like. Listen, that's a situation where if it's in Todd, I trusted 15 to one. That's nothing wrong with that. No, and again, it's not like we're talking about any world beaters for the girls. Now, with the boys, uh, yeah. we're going to rattle off yeah. a few names. And, and just the, the curiosity of, you know, coming into the Breeders' Cup, you know, horses like Essential Quality, Bolt Doro, Daredevil, Nyquist, Uncle Mo, Shanghai Bobby, Game winner. Yeah, Classic Empire, not this time. They were very close. Not all of these horses won, but they went into the juvenile as strictly the horses to beat. Yeah. Cave Rock on paper would need to fall down or have something unforeseen happen for him to lose a race like this. He's controlling speed and he's lengths faster than everybody else. Is he one that there's any reason to go against? I'm probably not going to go against him again. You're not going <laughs> to hold this to me because you know the, you know how I like to handicap the BC. I wait till the yep. pre entries come out. I believe they're coming out on DRF Wednesday, October 26th. The PPs, little plug there, and uh, you know, and then I pour over the PPs like ancient papyrus, and I go through every horse like the Dead Sea Scrolls. I treat them with such with such reverence. And then when it's time for the, you know, the after post positions to draw more interest in making my bets than my picks, but don't, don't hold me to it. It's hard to go against this horse right now. And Forte's a nice horse. That's a nice double. The hopeful breeders futurity double. Very nice double. I thought Loggins, considering he's inexperienced, ran very well in the breeders futurity. I'm not sure if I want to give up on the beautifully bred verifying just yet off of a sloppy track effort in the champagne. But then you watch Cave Rock. And you see the numbers and you say, then you see the pace scenario. And you, how are you going to beat him on paper? On paper, it looks real tough. Two turns, <laughs> controlling speed, Baffert, the fastest horse in the race. I mean, now granted, it all sets up for an extremely short price, but he, he doesn't have the questions to answer that Jackie's Warrior did the last time we were at Keeneland for a juvenile. He had never gone two turns. There was other speed in the race, X, Y, and Z. This horse has answered all of those questions. Uh, we'll find out cave rock is, is strictly the horse to beat against what, again, to your point, I think is a pretty good group of two-year-olds right now. Will he be a shorter price at post time than flight line? Sure, we joked about that last weekend. I mean, if you think, and I mean, I'm curious, your th I, flight line, I think is probably four to five. 
This horse, I can't imagine being. It's two to five at that. Yeah, right. I was going to say three to five. Yeah, I mean, he might be the shortest price of the weekend. No. Which is wild to think about when we got Flightline, who is, you know, lengths faster than anybody else in the classic. And despite that, it's a very, group, very deep group there. And not only lengths faster, just the horse that people are talking about in reverence tones and, and hushed tones like this is the, the next coming. This is the secretariat. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Pegasus. The yeah. fact that he might not even be the shortest price favor on the card tells you at least about the quality and depth somewhat of the classic and how much Cave Rock lays over the field in the juvenile. Uh, Dan Illman, thank you so much for the time this afternoon. Good to have you back on. We've got. How uh, about maybe we do this, you know, uh, a little bit sooner than every three years? Well, I, well, again, you know, when the when the babe showed up, that kind of threw a little monkey wrench yes. into things, you know. And um, I know, I know, a little amigos a long way. I, I understand that. Oh, but still. if if I could have you on every week, I would. <laughs> it would be much more enjoyable. Yeah, um, we have with with like four minutes left before the before the uh, Zoom call boots us off. Um, Mets baseball already pooped their pants. Uh, is Yankee baseball going to do the same thing or what? Wow. I have to be honest, Matt, you know, boy, I, I, it's tough to root for these guys, you know, whether it's <laughs> an Araldus Chapman, I don't feel like going to practice or it's, uh, you I, don't know, wanna. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, or as Waldo Cabrera, <laughs> he's up 90 times. He hits a home run. He stands there and he's looking, eh. He's posing and nothing happens. There's no repercussions. There's no chin music. There's nothing after that. Nah, Josh Naylor's doing the baby dance after he hits a home run. Nah, nothing happens to him. He doesn't get brushed back on his next pitch. It's hard. It's, it's hard to root. As we're filming this, it is on the cusp of elimination game. Do or die. Indians, Yankees. We're in Yankee Stadium. Yankees have to be the favorites. Uh, I will pick Cleveland. And I think they'll get two in the first. And you think about it too. You figured the Dodgers lost, the Mets lost, the Yankees could lose. Imagine. Imagine. I, I know you're looking forward to the old Phil's Guardians, Phil's Guardians World Series. Well, I mean, this is like the worst case scenario for Major League Baseball, isn't it? I mean, this is a disaster. Hey, man, that's what they wanted. They yeah, what? Well, it is. It, it's, it's so funny that this, you did, you wanted some chaos, but at the same time, you don't want chaos because you need your your name brands, and especially in the markets, you know, baseball being as regional as it is now, you need your big teams. It's a shame the Red Sox couldn't participate; they were just too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't even know how you go out. No, I mean this year was just purely one of those where you you go, they don't deserve anything. Wow, they don't, they don't. Now I will say, and this is, I'll leave you genuinely on this. I think part of the reason this is my theory. Part of the reason that they did not make any overtures to Xander Bogarts is because they're going to go after Correa again. Again, they tried to last last winter and didn't work. Isn't they're going to Bogart try to again. A ball player? Yes. Yeah. Why, why do you want Correa? Because he's younger, and I think they think that that's, you know, at shortstop, over 30, it's all downhill from there, all the metrics and X, Y, and Z, which I get to a degree, but he's been the heart and soul of that team for the past 10 years. But couldn't you move Bogarts to third and Devers to first? Now, look, don't even get me started because all <laughs> along, all along I've been saying, and they've got the golden goose in the minors, Marcelo Meyer, right? So right. you move Bogey to third, you move Devers mm -hmm. to first or DH, whatever. Keep, uh, what's his name there? Uh, Cassis at first. Have one of them be your DH. You've got Story at second. You put Meyer at short. You've got the best infield in baseball for the next five years. But no. No. I don't want to. 
I don't want to, and I know more than you. And, and, and I love me. Every general manager, I know more than you. Brian Cashman, I know more <laughs> than you. I think the best time to get John Carlos Stanton is off the 59 home run year. Well, I mean, well, so I that's like the thing. High. Someone it's, is going to pay a boatload of cash for Judge this year. Maybe it's the Yankees. Who knows? But somebody will. And it's going to be off of the absolute best he'll ever do. I, I, I like that the Yankee fans booed him when he had got off to a bad start <laughs> in the series. Because, boy, it's not like you want him next year. Yeah, no. I bet he gets cheered in San Francisco. I was going to say, wherever he ends up. I'm, I'm a little afraid that he'll end up in Boston. But at the same time, him with that wall for 81 games, I mean... I, I think with Judge, you don't worry because he, he maybe he won't hit 62 again. He don't have to. He can give you eight years of 45, 130, 299 batting average, and he's got the arm of a rifle. I think anyone that gets Judge is happy. When Stanton at 59, you're like, all right, well, now I'm hoping for 35. <laughs> and, and he doesn't get hurt. And now when he gets up, I just hope he doesn't get two strikes. Exactly, right, because it's over. He's out. <laughs> Uh, Dan, thank you again for the time this afternoon. Head on over to drf.com. You can read all of Dan's advances and handicapping for the Mid-Atlantic and then obviously on the YouTube channel for the Daily Racing Forum. Him, Beer, Aragona, Milkowski, Brad Free, anybody else I'm missing, I apologize, but you can find them all over there. Ilman, thank you. We'll chat again soon. Thank you very much. Uh, best to the family. All right, buddy. Thanks again to Dan Ilman for spending a little bit of time here this afternoon. Again, it's a busy time of year for everyone that's involved in the industry, so... Uh, I know half hour on a Monday is not ideal uh, for him, but he's been gracious with his time. And hopefully, again, we'll have him back maybe post-Breeders' Cup to kind of chop things up and see how some of these thoughts that we had leading into it ended up playing out. Uh, let's do a little bit of handicapping. I haven't done this in quite some time on this show anyway. Uh, on Friday, the late pick five at Keeneland starts in race number six. It's a 50-cent base bet. We're going to go through all the legs, six through ten. Uh, some more in depth than others, and I'll give you a little ticket. And again, I I don't love the sort of giving out tickets thing. I don't know what people's budgets are. Some people look at it and say, I can't possibly afford that. Others look at it and go, what are you doing? Why bother taking a shot with that price? Because you have no chance of really having a, a true say in it. Me, typically, I tend to avoid multi-race sequences because the more legs there are, the more horses there are, the more variables there are, the harder it is to hit. But at the same time, I'm open to playing multis at tracks where the takeout is right, where the racing is good, and all things considered, when I think there's a good opportunity. And Friday at Keeneland, the late pick five, uh, and really any day at Keeneland for the most part, um, is a good option and a good opportunity. So I'm going to give you what would be a $72 play for a 50-cent base bet. This is not tiering things. This is just a bit of a little caveman. Uh, but acknowledging that I want to see how things look on Thursday when I can download the other piece of the software that I use uh, and see what that says and make changes. And we'll see about the weather and we'll see about do scratches change the complexion of these races. You know the drill by now. But use your own noodle. You guys are good handicappers. Hear what I have to say and go back and forth. I listen to other people's opinions. That doesn't mean that I'm just automatically going to blindly bet these things. But I want to hear how other people see races. And hopefully that's what this is for all of you. So race six, the first leg of the pick five against 50 cent base bet. It's a starter allowance going three quarters on the main track. Timeform US suggests it's going to be a swift pace. Uh, I'm hopeful anyway that that does not 
be the or become the undoing of Dawnland, the three, for Tom Amos. I like this one in here. I think she's done very well. They claimed her two starts back for 50 at Saratoga. She comes back at Churchill Downs and wins for fun at the $40,000 claiming level. Now she steps up into the starter allowance groups. But based on that last run, from a pace-pressing sort of position, or stalking, and then she took over before they got into the far turn and drew off, I'm hopeful that she can work out a similar trip to that where there is other legitimate early foot in here. And I don't know that she's going to be out there contesting things. Hopefully she's in sort of the, the top of the second flight and can get first run on the closers. She's one in here that I want to use. I want to use the five as well, Sparkle of Hope. Sparkle of Hope, and you know what? They kind of go hand in hand. Sparkle of Hope and Codename Kate. They ran 1-2 in an N2L race last time out at Churchill Downs going 6.5. There was little pace signed on that day. In theory, Codename Kate had the better of it between the two because she was closer to the slow pace than the five Sparkle of Hope was. I thought they both were incredibly. The third place finisher was the next out winner. I'm going to use both the five and the 11 in here. So those are the only three. And I acknowledge these are very deep and competitive races. You can make a case for 10 in fields of 11. Uh, but I'm only going to use three. The three, the five, and the 11 in the opening leg of Friday's pick five. Second leg is this could end up being purely on pedigrees. And what we've seen from some of these horses so far, this could be a very interesting maiden special weight race for two-year-olds to keep an eye on in the future, specifically as three-year-olds. Six and a half on the main track. These are two-year-old males. I'm going to go four deep. The one, the three, the five, and the 11. The one is communication memo. Goes out for Steve Asmussen. Debuts, earns a 70 buyer, a well-beaten third. Well, you know, other than the fig, well-beaten third, I guess you could look at it and go, well, how good was it? Loggins was the horse that won that day. He came back and earned a 91 in the Breeders' Futurity when finishing second. More importantly, now the 7th and 8th place finishers are both next out winners, improving their buyer speed figures from a 54 to a 63 and a 53 to a 79. So the race is live. It's fast and it's live. That run on September 17th at Churchill Downs, race number 5. Keep an eye on that. Maybe make a little bit of a note when horses come out of it. Keep an eye on them. So communication memo is one that I'm going to use. The three victory formation I'm going to use. First time starter for Brad Cox. They paid $340,000 for this one in May of this year. A son of Taprit out of a smart strike mare, smart and soft. Uh, this one is a half to Bellamore. It was about a high 80, low 90 buyer type routing on turf. The second dam was a graded stakes winning dirt router. And again, Brad Cox, first-time starter. You've got a couple of solid workouts leading into this. you got that bullet drill three-back on September 30th at Ellis Park. You pick up Luis Saez. You see the connections. Horse makes all the sense in the world. My only caveat would be this one may want longer before we see this one at his absolute best. But no reason to think he can't fire first out. How's this for a pedigree? The five Wayhill Road goes out for Shug, first-time starter. The workouts look solid purely on paper which again doesn't really mean a great deal you got to see what they look like but i digress quality road out of malibu moon mare the mare was catch the moon quality road for what it's worth 15 percent or excuse me 13 percent was first time starters uh the the mare mal uh, catch the moon making wayhill road a half to midnight bourbon gervin and pirates punch they pay 1.6 million dollars for this horse at the keeneland september 21 sale Shug's numbers with firsters, solid enough. The pedigree would make you think a little bit longer is probably going to be better. Pirate's Punch was a good miler. Gervin was a mile on an eighth winner in the Haskell. Midnight Bourbon, we all know what he was. Wayhill Road could be one that if for whatever reason 
Friday's not the day. I mean, he has every right to be a quality racehorse, but I certainly want to use him. Gaffalione's got the mount first out of the box. And the other one I'm going to use, who I, I'm hopeful is a little bit lost in the shuffle from a price standpoint because of those other three that I've already mentioned. But the 11 released the McCracken came out of that run that I spoke about with Communication Memo. Now, he was forward on the lead. Softer pace, faded late. Maybe you want to say it wasn't great. He had a big jump up in buyers from 46 to 68 in the second start. I've already talked about how well that race has come back, that September 17th race number five at Churchill. And I like the outside draw. I think this is going to be beneficial for this one. And I thought in the debut, rallied into slow fractions and just had somebody else run away at the end. I released the McCracken, or excuse me, released McCracken, I should say, at a price. Maybe not as likely a winner as those prior three that I had mentioned, uh, but release McCracken is one that I want to use. So four deep for me in the second leg, the one, the three, the five, and the 11. The third leg, race number eight, it's an N3X on the turf, going eight and a half furlongs. I'm going four deep in here. The two, the five, the six, and the eight. The two is arm candy. If I needed to make a pick, this would be it. Uh, not as fast as some of the other horses in this race, but it's done good work at Keeneland in the past, two for four lifetime. I'm drawing a line through the Valley View last year. A, it was against Tougher. B, it was over an absolute bog. Prior to that, she wins an N2X over good going with an 88 buyer speed figure. You take a look at her uh, three-year-old year in the spring in the N1X over good going at Keeneland. She wins with a 75. And then in her second lifetime start, the Jessamine draw a line through it. She ran into Aunt Pearl that day and Spanish Love Affair, who was a good runner as well. I think she's done good stuff. Second start off the bench. I'm expecting a forward move here for Asmussen and company. Um, and she likes the racetrack. I, I, arm candy. And I think she'll be a decent enough price in here as well. So arm candy would be my air quotes pick in here for what it's worth. Asmussen past year turf route. Second after a 180 day layoff or greater four for 14, six in the money with a $4 ROI. The five, Bella Gamba goes out for Nacho Correas. Uh, you know, there's really nothing brilliant to say about this one other than on paper. She is certainly fast enough to win here. She's getting some class relief coming out of a number of stakes tries, including most recently the grade two Canadian up at Woodbine. I just think, again, from a class standpoint, from a, a speed figure standpoint, she fits. Uh, Scottish star, Stepping up in class a little bit here for Pletcher. She had a wicked pace to run at in that Saratoga run where she was uh, victorious by nearly three lengths. I will say the top two that day were one, two effectively throughout, but the figs are there. And again, no reason to think that second off the bench, she may not actually take another step forward. And the other one in here for me is the eight sunny one for Connor Murphy. Now, this one is also entered on what, Thursday, I think? Uh, yeah, at Keeneland. We'll find out where she runs but she ran well at Kentucky Downs, well enough, I thought, last time out in the ladies' turf. She's one for one at Keeneland in the past. And, you know, similar to the other filly that I had mentioned, Arm Candy, maybe not as fast as some of the more logical runners in here. Maybe you can catch a price with this one, the eight sunny one. So those are the four that I'm going to use in the third leg of the sequence. The fourth leg is an N2X going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. These are for three-year-olds. And I'm, I know you can make, you know, the case for many in here. I'm just going to single the nine Falconet for Pletcher. I, I think she's run too well in all of her starts. She's never been out of the exact in five. Uh, she got a couple of victories. Pletcher's numbers with this move are very strong. Past year, dirt route, second after a one, uh, after, excuse me, after a 60 to 180 day layoff, 11 for 32, 23 in the money with a $1.95 ROI. 
I just think she's way the horse to beat. She doesn't have to have the lead, but she's going to be forwardly placed. Timeform has her outright on the lead. Gaffaldeon's got the mount. Um, all systems go for Falconet. She's the only one I'm going to use in this leg. And hopefully we get alive to the payoff, uh, the finale, race number 10. Maiden special weight going about a mile and an eighth on the grass. Going three deep, the three, the five, and the ten. The three English treasure for Tom Drury Jr. The, the logic is... Yeah, the blinkers come off. That doesn't really bother me so much. And granted, I'm, I'm stretching a little bit here. Draw a line through the Ellis Park run. It preceded a lengthy layoff. Draw a line through the two races prior, both of them at Churchill Downs, when well documented how weird the, the Churchill turf has been, or was. Draw a line through the January 27th race at the fairgrounds. It came off the turf and was run on the dirt. The career debut, she rallies into slow fractions, and ends up getting a little bit short at the end, going a, a route of ground at Ellis Park. Completely fair run. And then she comes back in her second lifetime, start going a mile 3 16th here at Keeneland. Shows big speed and just gets nipped at the end by a horse that was the next out winner. English Treasure, if you can be kind and creative and kind of sift through what the PPs look like, I think she's a little interesting at a price. The five Mesoria? Mesoria? Mesoria, whatever, you get the point. Number five, Graham Motion, John Velasquez. You know, she needs to improve, but keep in mind, she ran once as a two-year-old and once as an early three-year-old, and she earned a 70 as that early three-year-old at Gulfstream Park. The second-place finisher, who she was only three-quarters of a length behind, Wonka, came back and broke her maiden next out with a 74, moving up from a 71. Motion's numbers past two years, turf route first after a 250-day layoff or greater, with the odds... At post time, 10 to 1 or less, 7 for 21 with a 354 ROI. I want to use her. And the other one I'm going to use is a first-time starter called Tiana for Augustine Stable. Uh, Vince Cheminode has the mount for Jonathan Thomas. Curlin, 12% with the first-time starters, 11% with the turf routers. Uh, the dam, the second dam was Wild Spirit, who was a grade one winning dirt router for Bobby Frankel. The works are there. They paid a boat, boatload of cash for her. And again, Thomas has had good numbers with first-time starters going long on the turf. So 3, 5, and 10 for me in race 10 at Keeneland on Friday is a 50-cent pick 5. That little ticket is 72 bucks. I would strongly encourage you not to just blindly play that, but I think it is worth, you know, go through. Check out some of the horses. See if you like them. See if you don't. Add in others you do. Take away some of the ones in here that you don't like. Again, you guys are all sharp handicappers, but use this as a template or something like that if you so choose. Uh, and that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, quick programming note, I will be on the HHH Racing Podcast. Howard Kravitz, uh, Paul Halloran, Pete Visco on Tuesday night. Be sure to check that out and check those guys out every week. Um, and then we're really, at that point, we're in a deep. We've got Horse Players Happy Hour coming up on Thursday. Uh, hopefully PTF is back. We'll be taking a look. Boy, we're down to the nitty-gritty now. We've got 20 people left vying for a Breeders' Cup betting challenge seat. You're certainly going to want to take a look at that. Uh, and as always, please rate, review, subscribe to all of the podcasts from In The Money Media. But obviously, I'd like you to subscribe to this one. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen along over on YouTube. Search for Matt Bernie or show. You will get this episode along with the 134 that came before it uh, until Monday. Well, join us for happy hour for 4 o'clock on Thursday on the Breeders' Cup social channels and the Money social channels. But if, for whatever reason, you can't join us, until next month, 
Best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, wherever you play. This has been episode 135 of the Matt Bernier Show.